0: Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. China's economy grew by 3% to 121 trillion yuan in the year 2022, despite all the challenges and pressures. Industrial output rose 3.6% over the previous year, while the retail sales shrank slightly by 0.2%. National Bureau of Statistics head Kang Yi said, China is still the world's second-largest consumer market and the largest online retail market market. China has pledged to focus on stabilizing the economy in the year 2023 and set boosting the consumption as a priority for its economy. And there are expectations for growth to reach 5% or even higher this year. So how much momentum will China's economy have this year? And will it be able to weather the headwinds and maintain stability and resilience? For more on this, join us on the line now are Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Aina Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. So then first we see China posting 3% economic growth despite all the economic headwinds that we saw last year. So what do you make of this figure?
2: The 3% of GDP growth in 2022 actually reflected the strength in China's supply side of the economy. Uh, We've seen the expansion in the industrial sector along with a strong export demand. Um, but on the demand side, uh, this is weaker in terms of macro figures. Uh, consumption and investment were relatively weak, uh, with the exception of infrastructure spending. So that being said, uh, we can see this upgrading process in the supply side, and that means there will be more investment in manufacturing.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, Aina, so how do you evaluate China's growth despite all the pressures that we are facing?
1: Well, actually, uh, pretty good, considering that, you know, the main issue here was uh, COVID. uh, And that's going to have a huge effect. I mean, you know, one of the figures that I noticed most is that in 2021... Uh, Even though there was COVID at that time, it was 66% of the economy was um, consumer spending. And that dropped to 41% in 2022. So you you could see some uh, definite wins. Now, on the positive side of that is there's $17 U.S. trillion in savings uh, that are being held by Chinese consumers, a record amount. So the real issue here is about uh, confidence. Um will uh, Chinese consumers think that there's enough confidence? I think the key to that is uh, growth in um, uh, real household uh, earnings. Uh, the higher the amount of uh, disposable income, the more uh, likely it is that Chinese consumers are going to go out there and start spending again.
0: Mm -hmm. And so then, I actually uh, talk about confidence and we also talk about uh, the resilience of the Chinese economy. So talking about the three pillars of the economy, uh, the trade, investment and consumption. Consumption was relatively weak last year due to the pandemic disruptions and the total social consumption fell by 0.2%. So how do you see the consumption this year? How soon will it come back?
2: Uh, the consumer market has already shown momentum of bouncing back uh, together with the rising tourists uh, between provinces. Uh, and with the Chinese New Year coming, uh, it is already getting harder to buy the high-speed way ticket. And the cross-provincial traveling by all modes of transportation are going up significantly. So that's a good sign. Um, But to go up to the 2019 level of the retail market, we we'll probably have to wait until the second half or even later of this year. But the main reason is that there still is no clear sign of how the households can boost their income again. Uh, the income growth last year was quite strong for rural residents, but not so much for urban residents. And we know that urban residents' spending in retail is about three times as big as rural residents. So mm. I suspect there would be uh, more targeted measures to increase people's income and targeting vulnerable families throughout of this year. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Aina, so are you expecting a consumption-led recovery for this year? And would it uh, automatically come back or would more supporting policies be needed?
1: Well, I, I think it's combination. combination. Um, you have to divide it into short-term. I think there's a tremendous amount of revenge spending that's going to occur. I mean, uh, Dan, you just came back from Yunnan. And, <laughs> Sonny, you said, oh, I'm longing for the day I can travel around. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really a reflection of the sentiment uh, all around. But the, the issue after that revenge spending, after that initial desire to, to go out and do something, what happens next? And that's where I think policy... Uh, matters are really going to uh, affect it. I agree with Dan completely that uh, what we're looking at is, uh, is needed is a rise in um, disposable income. Um, rural and uh, urban, and the question is how you bring that about. Um, there's obviously going to be more support in a number of areas, uh, real estate, um, uh, the uh, the, uh, the online markets, and things like that that were hit very hard. Uh, and we'll have to see what other areas. I I'm not in favor of this helicopter money, just dropping. Uh, things down. I think that can be useful in certain situations, uh, emergency situations, but really what's needed here is a very strong support uh, for uh, new businesses, small, medium-sized business entities uh, that will be looking for opportunities as things grow. But those opportunities obviously have to come through um, expenditure.
0: Mm -hmm. And so Dan, how would you describe the overall performance of the infrastructure construction in China last year?
2: The infrastructure building last year was exceeding the market expectations by a large margin. Uh, And in terms of the traditional infrastructure construction, like roads, railways, uh, hydropower projects, uh, those projects were uh, extended quite extensively Uh, in Central and Western China, especially Western China. uh, We've seen a significant increase in local government spending to support such projects. And along the East Coast, a lot more money was spent on the so-called new infrastructure, including the 5G stations and the data centers. So it looks like uh, the infrastructure spending were probably one of the strongest pillar for China's growth in 2022. And many of the provincial governments have issued their plan to use uh, another another round of infrastructure construction in 2023. Um, I don't think the scale will be nearly as big as last year, but it just seems that this has once again becomes the main driver for the economy.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Aina, like Dan mentioned, uh, China is also stepping up efforts to boost a new infrastructure construction uh, like 5G base stations and big data centers. So how has that been a driving force for China's economy?
1: Well, it's not just those. It's it's also this um, you know, digital 3.0. And it, what that does is it drives towards efficiency. Uh, China's at a, a point where it's at this kind of middle income trap where it's it's run out of Uh, the, you know, the kind of labor dividend uh, that was available when it was, you know, uh, under underdeveloped, it now has to figure out ways, and they can compete and produce effectively, um, not only for the Chinese market but internationally. So, um, by having uh, better tools, better logistics, uh, better uh, operation of your of your um, factories, uh, manufacturing, also concentrating on creating goods and services that are uh, value priced. Um, for you know consumers, is going to be very much a key part of how China competes because that is the basis. If you can lower the cost of uh, items that people need, you're actually putting money in their pocket, mm-hmm. uh, and then based on that, uh, on that uh, uh, consumption, uh, other outside uh, money is going to pour in because they they look at it and say, oh, look, you're the lowest cost producer. You have a huge market. Uh, We want to invest where you are as opposed to other areas where not so good.
0: Mm-hmm. So then, while we understand the fixed asset investment, a very important part of the infrastructure investment was largely driven by the government, but uh, manufacturing investment, and especially the high-tech manufacturing investment, grew significantly last year from 7 to 9%, and they were mainly driven by the private and overseas investors. So how come these investors remained very bullish in the production investment in these areas?
2: Um, Part of the optimism in this sector was uh, because of a strong policy support for climate change. And throughout the past five years, even before COVID, China's investment in new energy, new material and advanced equipment um, were already accelerating. And since COVID has started, all other investments in private sector suffered but people still see a quite bright future for uh, such industrial transition. And when we look at uh, the solar power, for example, uh, the related uh, investment in the solar industry was about three times as big as in 2021 when we see the actual figure in 2022. This was quite astonishing. And much of those products were not consumed in China's domestic market. They were actually exported on to uh, Europe and to the US. So this trend will deepen in the coming years as the climate change efforts step up in post-COVID era. And we will see an even faster transition in China, and it's not going to be just within solar and wind, but all kinds of other green products that China has been making great efforts to promote.
0: Mm-hmm. And so know the fixed asset investment grew by 5.1% last year, but we also noticed that the real estate sector dropped by 10% in terms of the uh, uh, fixed asset investment. So what do you think uh, of the role of the real estate sector in China's economy?
1: obviously it's a very, very important, uh, you know, there are estimates, um, that vary between, you know, uh, almost, uh, 25 to 30% of the Chinese market is directly or indirectly affected by real estate because of all the things that go into building, etc. Um, I, I would expect, uh, they're already, um, saying that they're going to, um, be supporting the completion of projects. Mm. Um, they have been kind of winnowing out the, uh, weaker players who are, We're not uh, properly uh, running their company or properly um, uh, financed. So at this juncture, you're going to start to see quite a bit of support in that area. Um, uh, They're simply trying to make sure that the market uh, operates efficiently uh, and can help them achieve uh, these broader social goals.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So Dan, so what do you think about the real estate development here in China?
2: The real estate market now have received a lot of support from the banking system. And there are already a rescue package about 2 trillion RMB uh, laying out. Uh, The money will be spent within the next two, three years uh, to help restore um, the supply side of resilience in the housing market. And on the demand side, we have also seen a further lowering and relaxation in uh, home buying especially for smaller cities and for large cities and the latest figure have shown that the housing prices have stabilized for certain areas the housing prices have a pretty strong signs of going up the smaller cities because they have been losing population throughout COVID, and uh, the trend uh, will be exacerbated exacerbated in the coming years as the population decline um, but if the local industrial structure can be further diversified, services sector can develop at a faster pace, and there is still a chance that the local housing market can have some uh, support. But the ultimate solution still depends on the restoration of market confidence, and home buyers have to be able to feel comfortable again to get back and buy uh, new housing for their families.
0: So then let's talk about inflation. How was China able to keep inflation in check and ensure the food and energy security of its people despite the high and volatile global commodity prices?
2: Mm-hmm. On inflation, we know it's ultimately a monetary phenomenon. So Chinese uh, central bank has been quite conservative since COVID has started in its monetary easing. And that's why the inflationary pressure had always been low throughout the past three years. And on top of that, we have also seen different measures targeting different industries, uh, like in agriculture. Um, the government, uh, especially the main agricultural produce uh, producers in China, and they were encouraged to expand their plantation areas for staple grains. So the prices for staple grains and general food prices were much lower in the same period than the rest of the world, and mm. the energy sector followed a similar fashion. But the instructions were more direct. The regulators used price control directly to restrict the price increase in coal, uh, in coal uh, industry, and also for oil, uh, for oil and gas importers, and that's why we don't see the kind of price increase in the energy sector. And for the new energy sector, there were even more effort trying to connect green energy into the national grid, therefore to provide more sources of electricity. And the electricity price were also quite stabilized. So in general, this is a combination of the government policies, subsidies, and industrial efforts it has been proven quite successful. Mm -hmm.
0: And then, so the CPI figure for last year uh, here for China is only 2%, and that is a very stable and healthy figure compared with uh, very high consumer prices in the major world economies. So do you think it gives Chinese uh, policymakers more room to adjust Mm -hmm. the policies to stimulate the economy this year if necessary?
2: On such a low figure in consumer price inflation, give the central bank a lot of rooms to lower the policy rates. As the economy pick up space in the recovery, we will see more inflation pressure uh, in different industries and uh, across different regions. Um, because the recovery will not be a balanced one; it will be quite uneven. On some sectors, will recover first. And the services sector, especially tourism, uh, hotel, and uh, certain parts of retail, their prices have jumped up uh, due to a rising activity in cross-provincial tourism. Um, So I think the central bank will still be quite conservative in how aggressive they want to lower the rates, because they certainly don't want to prop up uh, the property sector uh, asset bubble again and they would like to use a more targeted approach. So we might see a further lowering of mortgage rate for home buyers, but the general big reduction for the policy rate is still unthinkable, at least at this point of the economy.
0: So Aina, so what do you think about China's consumer price issue?
1: Well, I, I see this slightly differently. Um, the issue is uh, China has the toolbox uh, that is necessary to deal with these types of things. You know, you, you saw this outside of China. Uh, completely unable to do anything. Uh, you had the Fed in the United States raising rates, which was, of course, was followed by lockstep uh, raising rates in uh, other countries in order to make sure that their um, their currencies didn't, you know, get the bottom devalue more than they ha- already had. So at, at this juncture, um, China has been able to fine-tune it. I mean, the ability to encourage farmers uh, prospectively to uh, increase their areas, produce more goods, uh, more um produce, et cetera, was very important. Uh, From the um, energy standpoint, uh, China has long-term contracts uh, with uh, so many entities. They've been planning for a long period of time a huge amount of strategic reserves. So they were able to kind of feather things uh, along. Now, why why is this so important? Because, you know, if you start looking at real income, uh, you know, in Japan last quarter, they lost 4.4% real buying power. Uh, because inflation was so much higher than uh, wage increases, and in the United States and Europe, you're having exactly the same thing. So that's why uh, they you know everyone's uh, anticipating that they will go through a recession. China's is quite different. Uh, they kept inflation very low. Um, there's a lot of upside room for increasing uh, wages as things come back onto line. I agree with Dan. They're going to be fairly conservative, very pragmatic in terms of any kind of, um, of you know fiscal easing and things like this. So we'll have to see where it goes. But uh, China emerges out of COVID, in a much different position uh, than uh, other countries around the world, especially uh, uh, developed countries, which are really going to have a tough year.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And so I know for China's economy, I think foreign trade is also quite an important sector. We've seen China's foreign trade topped 40 trillion yuan last year, growing by 7.7%. So how did foreign trade manage to show robust growth despite all the global economic uncertainties we saw?
1: Well, I mean, that goes back to what Dan said about, uh, you know, certain areas, especially green energy areas, um, exporting a lot. You saw tremendous at solar and wind as especially Europe is scrambling to figure out alternative sources. They don't want to be beholden to natural gas. Yes, they are uh, making deals with Qatar and other places uh, to replace um, uh, Russian gas, but in the end, um, the price of uh, liquefied natural gas is quite a bit higher. You know, on a stabilized basis, about two x times higher than gas pumped through um, a pipeline. So they have to figure out ways to restore energy uh, efficiency to their markets. So that was one area. Other areas that there's just not a lot of uh, capacity out there to build uh, new factories and areas. Um, You know, like, you know, the necessities clothes, et cetera, et cetera. You might move in order to take advantage of lower labor costs. But, you know, building a new factory, it's it's just really hard to do. I mean, so much of the business sentiment is, you know, uh, very, very uh, bearish. Uh, They look at the markets, they look at around the world and they say, gee, you know, where where to do things. Um, The one area that, um, you know, where you have seen this kind of divorce going on is is in high tech and that that is spurring uh, the U.S. economy. But the question is long term. If, the U, if you build it in the US and you operate in the US, your costs are gonna be significantly higher. Um, and if that is the case in China's uh, and other places in Asia are producing at a lower cost, It's not good for long term. Uh, Maybe the U.S. can erect barriers to keep uh, uh, products in, but long term they can't. China is taking the exact opposite track. Uh, They're um, creating more efficiency, as I said, uh, you know, digital 3.0 industrialization, etc. They're trying to position themselves as a world leader competitively in terms of uh, both cost and uh, quality.
0: Mm. And Aina, it seems that China continues to be an attractive destination for foreign investors despite all the challenges I've faced uh, last year. So, how do you explain this?
1: Well, it's the only stabilized market. Um, uh, you know, despite uh, COVID and everything like that, uh, people saw how China was handling. Uh, as, as you know, we were just discussing food, energy, inflation. Mm. Um, you know, stabilize yuan. I mean, uh, export trade, huge market, big potential. Everyone knew that COVID uh, would switch to a coexistence strategy. And at that point that there would be unleashed a tremendous amount of buying power. I mean, China is going to be, you know, even at the at lowest uh, level, 4.2% uh, growth, and those are the, you know, the international banks, which are heavily influenced by past actions, you know, you can in China, some, some uh, very conservative economists are pushing 8%. It's probably going to be somewhere in between. But you compare that to the rest of the world, which is basically going into the se- recession in the developed countries, which is going to have knock-on effects in uh, developing Uh, countries, Um, and you see, you know, there's there's no comparison. Where else were you going to put your money? There just really aren't any alternatives.
0: Mm -hmm. So then, starting this year, there has also been some renewed bullishness from the international investors on China's A shares, and we have had a couple of sessions of very strong buying of the Chinese mainland stocks. So how do you explain that, and what have been driving their decisions?
2: the valuation of a shares has been at a historical low and for international investors they would consider mostly two things one is the economic outlook of china and two is their alternative opportunities in other markets and it just seems that china's markets in asia has this unbeatable strength of uh of the climbing up of the cyclical um, and climbing out of the low valuation point, and there are also a number of emerging industries have already shown their strength in bouncing back. And when the investors look at other markets in Latin America, in Africa, uh, and it just doesn't seem like they have the similar kind of strength underlying the recovery. So China would receive not only more financial investment this year in uh, the stock market, but given how optimistic the foreign investors are, we probably will also see more, realist, uh, more investment in the real economy, especially uh, in the high-tech sector and the consumer sector. Mm.
0: So then what do you think will be the outlook of China's economy this year? Could China make more contributions to stable the uh, global growth this year?
2: Uh, now the sentiment has improved quite significantly, uh, and the forecast for China's economic growth in 2023 range from 7% to uh, 4% to 7%. And this is there is a lot of variation because people make different assumptions on what kind of policies will be used. Uh, whatever the case, we will see more investment in the private sector, a higher level of consumption. So the economic outlook will improve and people will spend more. Um, but the most important pillar for growth is still in housing.
0: So, Aina, what do you think about the uh, economic outlook of China for this year?
1: Well, I, I, I do uh, agree that real estate is very important. But uh, I'm going to go back to um, cluster development Um okay. Uh, manufacturing 3.0 things like that it's th- this is the time when china can really shine uh, with the economic malaise around the world, with uh, very little investment in uh, new areas, uh, in existing areas, and more investment in China, this is the time to double down on creating more efficient um, logistics and manufacturing, uh, because that positions China long term uh, very, very well, mm-hmm. uh, especially as you know, you have this growing global divide between uh, the developed nations versus the rest of the world, which is basically Global South and the standard so and then, or I shouldn't say stance, I should say Central Asia. Mm. Uh, when you start looking at it, I mean, um, you know, the RCEP, um, SCO, BRICS Bank, AIIB, Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, you you know you don't really see anything coming out of the developed world, which is um, you know similar. Yes, you you have the. Uh, The TPP, which the U.S. abandoned, uh, but you don't really hear that much about it. So I think growth continues to be uh, on China's side as long as it pushes efficiency, low cost and uh, more technology.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we're speaking with Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing, thank you so much for listening.